Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the Mastering College to Career Podcast and where we help you graduate college with your dream job lined up. But before we get on to today's episode of the podcast, I want to share with you guys a training that I created on helping your resume and application beat over 90% of all other applicants. I created this training after almost six years of figuring out a way to making sure that when you submit your resume, that your resume actually gets noticed and it doesn't get deleted by the applicant tracking system. So if you're one of those students that are tired of submitting applications online and never hearing back, you need to check out this 20-minute training that I created. So if you want to learn more about this training, all you got to do is go to my website, masteringcollege2career.com forward slash resume dash training to get access or check out the show notes. And now without further ado, enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the Mastering College to Career podcast. I have somebody interviewing me today and yeah, I have right. David Mao interviewing me. So we're going to kind of, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode, but it should be fun. It should be full of content anyway. It's going to be fun and it's going to be full of a lot of good content. Trust That's, me. All right. You're in charge, man. Appreciate it. So I'm David Mao. I met Daniel. I don't know. It's been a good year. Year and some change maybe. Yeah. It's, it's gone by kind of quick. Close to Yep. Is it close to two? Yeah. Because you reached out to me over LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Right? Because you wanted to interview me. You were definitely talking to people that were in certain industry experts or yep. what have you. And so I got to know Daniel and he put out a book, as you guys are probably aware, called Mastering College to Career, which... I love, I've gone through multiple times, I've recommended it multiple times. I think it's a, it's a very smart tool for people that are not just graduating, but I think people that have also graduated, but I think it's a smart tool for people in my profession to actually read as well, to kind of get an understanding of what's going on in the, in the mind of that college student or that, that soon or recent graduate, because they can be a little bit of a puzzle sometimes, right? You've got these employers that don't seem to know how to talk to the to the, the the graduates and the graduates are struggling talking to the employer but that's not really what we're going to talk about because i'm more interested in in you you know as i've gotten to know you and i've thought about kind of your journey uh from going through you know school to graduating to thinking that you know what this is kind of what i want to do full-time is so, that true that is very true so before you you grill me right Let's give a little context of this, right? Why are you so interested in flipping this tin around? And like what a little bit of your background. All right. All right. right because all right. like that's fair. There's, that's they, fair. They might not. It's like, who is this <laughs> random guy deciding to interview? So you? so if you um, if you go onto my LinkedIn, I am I'm the senior director for Westgate Resorts. I'm the head of talent acquisition for Westgate. I've been in the hiring business probably for the last 20 years. I guess to answer your question straightforward, like why, why do I want to do this? I'm a naturally, uh, I'm a naturally curious person. Um, I do this for a living. Like I ask questions for a living and I like talking to people and I like finding out what their thoughts and opinions are. And there's a lot of drivers behind why you chose to write a book. So I, I think it would be kind of cool for your, your listening audience to get an understanding of what, what kind of drove you to where you are, what got you to where you are, what your belief system is, why you, you wrote some of the things that you wrote, right? And what some of the drivers are. I, I think that's fair. That's fair. So now that you guys know, um, let me give you guys a little bit more context on David himself. David enjoys interviewing people. And more than just interviewing whether they're a good fit or not, is to get to understand what makes people tick and why they do what they do. Yep. Um, and He's conducted thousands of interviews a year. Yes, yes. And so this is really fun for him to torture me like this. It is. It's good. <laughs> so I, I am more afraid of missing talent than I am hiring wrong. So my whole approach to interviewing and talking to human beings, especially when it's around employment, I, I just I see and feel things very differently. I, I ask different questions. And I, I do enjoy it. I don't think I'm torturing somebody, but, I'm just I, but yeah. I do I do tend to get in their head. I do tend to want to shake the brain a little bit for sure. My goal always, always in an interview is to make somebody uncomfortably comfortable. That's legitimately my goal. Let's get comfortably comfortable. Uncomfortably comfortable is what I want to do. And that's what we're going to do today. Let's get started. You ready? You're so boss. when did you graduate UCF? I graduated in 2012. So, and what, what got you to choose UCF over some of the other colleges? 
So I was not the best co uh, high school student, right? I like that. Yeah, I know straight, you told yeah. me that. I told, I talked about this, right? <laughs> I would be so I went to Dr. Phillips High School. I wasn't a, a bad student. I just wasn't a the best student. So I graduated, I think barely with a 3.0, knowing that I took all the easy classes. Uh, my senior year in high school, uh, three out of my classes were like a joke. Like I took attendance in one of them. Like, yeah, I was in, in student government, which I had made me have both lunches. Like right. um, I often left school early, like, but I wasn't a bad, like, Teachers liked me because I was oh, nice. I'm sure you're right? likable. For yeah. Sure. Um, so I didn't even apply to any university. I went directly to the community college in my city, which is Valencia College. Okay, so you um, start off at Valencia. And then Valencia had a program where you, it's direct connect. You're guaranteed acceptance into the University of Central Florida, and that guaranteed acceptance for somebody who had bad grades sounded like an excellent idea to me. <laughs> so what was it about the school that just didn't keep you engaged in the beginning? Um, it's not that the school itself, I love learning. Yeah. I'm just a horrible test taker. So like, yeah, if yeah. I can go to class and learn about American history, it's amazing. So I give you guys a good example. Like my wife is the complete opposite of me. Yeah. She's very smart. Um, there's many times where uh, I was memorizing things, something for a test. So I would ask her to help me memorize it. I had already studied for four hours before she helped me for the last hour. And by the fifth hour, right? One hour of her her helping me four hours of me doing by myself, she knew more than I did. Yeah, I don't like those kind of people. They make me sad because I don't have that gift. Yeah, so yeah. That's, but you married right. That's I, yeah, very smart. I married that's strategic. Right. Yeah, I did. <laughs> like, I'm a horrible speller, so this book should be by Diana Botero and Jessica Botero uh, because she rewrote this whole book. Really? Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, though. So you get into UCF, right? Yeah. So you start, you start attending UCF. What was your thought process then? What were you thinking about? What was your little outcome? What were your goals? My outcome was, um, so at that time I had already fallen in love with personal development and mm -hmm. I had listened to every audio book that was, a, by that time it was a like CD. Like what? Uh, Think and Grow Rich. Napoleon. Um, yeah. How to Win Friends and Influence Others. Carnegie. Uh, yeah. Dale Carnegie. Um, all of the rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. Um, a lot about leadership. Stephen Covey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Zig Ziglar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony Robbins. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're all old school because you got to think about. I was getting my source of knowledge was the public library who but that's only good. bought books that were right, already right. old as it as it is. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. They got them at a discounted yeah, rate. Yeah. Discounted rate. Um, but that's good content though, right? Oh, it was amazing. That's yeah. Good content. The people that you've talked about. That's that very is, good content. The fundamental personal development industry was those yeah, guys. Yeah, some yeah. of it's timeless for sure. Timeless. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, all of it probably. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you're reading those books, wanting to do listening because I listen. Okay, listening to yeah. those books. All right. So you're listening to those books. Yeah. I actually read those books. You're listening to those books. Um, but what? What? With what goal in mind? What were you hoping? I, I I'm thinking about this more now. Back then, I didn't realize this. Mm -hmm. So, fortunately. And you can say, unfortunately, like, um, and I'm reading some books now that I really understand my, I'm understanding my psychology now. I was born in a very successful family in Colombia. Were you? Yeah. Talk about it. So, my, you don't mind. yeah, no. So I was born in, a, uh, when I was born, my father um, used to run a family business that my great grandfather had started. Um, in, in Colombia? In Colombia. So okay. at the time that my father was running it, uh, the company had been in business for over 50 years. Oh my goodness. Had thousands of employees. Oh, wow. And... That company that my dad and one of my uncles were running, right, was so successful that allowed my family, Colombian family being like 30 plus people, live in higher class Colombia, sure, right? Sure. And so at that time, money was never an issue. I went to the best schools. Um, you know, we wow. we owned the beach style. We owned a beach style. We, like the, our family owned the beach. Like we had a lot of things, right? Yeah. My father passes away from pancreatitis. Mm. Um, doctors say the pancreatitis is caused by stress. Yeah. I, I can bet why running a family, yeah. running a company, and I, I learned the stories later on that even when he was on the weekends, he would go hang out with his family. All my grandparents or my uncles will ask my father is how the company is doing because that's how they get their paycheck, right. like their right. dividends. Yeah. Um, my father passes away. Mm. Uh, five years later, the company goes bankrupt. Really? Right? Uh, my mom was never went from never working a day in her life to not knowing what to do because the com even when my family died, when my fa my dad died when I was three, my the company still was able to take care of me and my family. Yeah. But when the company was no more, 
no one was really no more. And right. I don't know, I've, I've heard this, like the first generation builds it, the second yeah. maintains it, the third destroys it, yeah. right? They um, it. it's true. The second and third generations weren't, let's say, the best with their money. And so that the, the support that my mom was getting financially was essentially gone. And, and at that time was what you would think of Colombia Narcos time. Yeah. And so she didn't want me to grow up in, a, in an environment where I didn't have the money to stay out of trouble in a sense, go to the private schools and right. be safe. Right. And so my mom decided to move to the United States with $2,000, which is all she had in savings and two suitcases, all so that I can have a better opportunity. Um, and it was the ultimate sacrifice. So I went from, in, in, a, in a sense, born with a silver spoon in my mouth, right? Having everything I ever wanted. Um, spoiled I, I mean in a sense into going to <laughs> Colombia uh, coming to America and my mom going from never working to working seven days a week yeah. um, living off less than twenty thousand dollars a year N over seventy percent of the money that my mom had went to paying rent because yeah. she wanted me to go to a good school so we yeah. had to be in a good area which is yeah. dr. Phillips yeah and um, and that's a kind of a wealthy area. There's money in that area. For yeah, sure. and so we lived in an apartment, which is the only neighborhood apartment neighborhood in Dr. Phillips, yeah. right next to the YMCA. Yeah. And that's not cheap. And that wasn't cheap, no. but my mom sacrificed everything so that I can go to a good school, right? So I've had to live on both, right? I've been able to live on what it looks like to have money, and I've also yeah. been able to be like, what it looks like to have no money. And that, I think, really motivated me to get back on top. Like, yeah. how do I grow it to get back on top? Yeah. So as you were going through school, what are some of the classes that started getting your interest? What did you find yourself starting to think about? I, I love business. Um, even mm. when I was young, I, I, I thought about, not because I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I thought about ways to make money so that my mom didn't have to, didn't have to ask my mom for that money. That was your driver. Right? Yeah. And so even like at nine, 10 years old, I lived, like I said, the, neighbor, the, the only apartment neighborhood in Dr. Phillips Right behind it was a the field or the YMCA. And some adults would go there and play soccer. Yeah. And so I would realize that there was a supermarket. At the time, it was in Albertsons. It's now yeah. in Publix. Yeah. And I would walk there with a rolling cooler, fill it up with water and Gatorades, and then take it and sell it to the people. And I was 10-year-old. Oh, that's I, smart. It was, I was making around $50 a game. And they played Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Wow. I played with those people for 25 years. Really? Yeah. Really? Like they had like essentially adopted me. Like, wow. um, and, and some of those people I still talk to today. Really? Yeah. And uh, they still play some of them because the, I, the, but when I was playing, that was when I was nine years old, that was about over 20 years ago. Some of those people were 50, 60. So yeah. they're not playing yeah. anymore. Right, so right, I actually saw them like starting to yeah. Re yeah. Re yeah. retire. Right. But that was the first. Then I went into, uh, my mom's best friend was from Peru and she would bring me Lacoste polos because yeah. Lacoste are made in Peru. Oh, are they? Yeah. Did not know that. And so she would buy them for me for $20 uh, off the like factory when right. they overmade. And I would sell them out of my locker room for sixty dollars. Wow! No, sorry, forty dollars. So twenty, forty, and you could buy them in the store for about a hundred. Right. And then a friend of mine. So then I started making business, uh, making money selling Lacoste shirts. Then I got a job at Universal when I was able to work, and I worked there for six years. Did you really? Yeah. Doing what? So the glow in the dark sending vending machines. You <laughs> yeah, get commission. I know. Do you really? I you I get commission. Not, not oh, that. I broke I every know. record. Did you really? Oh, I have letters of recommendations from my. my Cause you so what was your pitch with the with the with the glow in the dark? That, it, so again, back then I didn't know what I was doing, but I, it apparently worked. you did. I did. All right. So <laughs> this is my favorite trick: um, lifesavers, like the glow up lifesavers. I would always have two. Yeah. I see a little kid. He would make eye contact with me. I would throw him the lifesaver. I would play with him. There's no way you're gonna get that sword out of the kid's hand. <laughs> no way. Your dad would be like, "Here's the ten bucks." Right. Right. Wow. That's very manipulative. I like it. That's yeah. awesome. But that works though, right? Oh my God. Record. Like, I would make deals. I like betting. And so I would make deals with the manager. He's like, all right, if you can sell 20 swords in two hours, you get what's called an applause card. They still do this at Universal, which is like a $5 gift card. Yeah. And I would eat lunch for free every day. Really? Oh yeah. And I, that was I'm going to show it to you. So let me ask you this. Was it the fact that you were like, were you aware that you were breaking records? Oh yeah, I knew that, it because they would tell me. But did that matter to you? Oh yeah, I loved it. So it did matter to oh, you? Oh, of course, yeah. Okay, so you're competitive? Oh, I don't think I've ever met anybody more competitive than I am. Okay. Yeah. I'm Just being competitive about, about being competitive. No, 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 yeah. I understand what you mean, in a good way. I understand exactly what you mean. So you kind of, did you notice that about yourself 
At the time, did you notice that about yourself? I noticed that when I was younger because I would get mad very easily. I would get mad every time I lost. So it was just like a sour patch and I would get picked on by my friends. Not in a, it was a negative way, but like I would right. get picked on because I used to get mad. And it wasn't until I learned to not get mad and learn to channel that competitiveness to winning. Yeah. Um, that like I started using that for a motiv- as a motivator. What do you, so once you started Six years is a long time at Universal. Were you, this is me just asking, yeah. but were you full or part-time or, or what No, part-time, years? seasonal. So you're and seasonal? Okay. I would, um, a, a lot of, th- those. Is this during school or? On, during on school, breaks, so I would or? work summer, oh, winter break. Would you go full-time summer? Or? Um, I would work full-time summer. And it goes like, during when I, when I didn't have school, it actually when there was Universal needed me the most. Yeah. And I had such a great relationship with my managers. There was a rule at Universal where you had to essentially work once a quarter or like sorry once every six months to stay eligible right as a part-time right. if not like why would you right. need your tickets right. and stuff yeah, like that that's true. that's true and it costs money to have me on their payroll right right um but they just knew that when i did work i sold so much more like i i mean i mean my car well a lot of times would double than what the average car did so yeah. like it just it was worth having it was there, huh? worth having i mean I still have coffee with my old managers. Do you like, really? I have a great relationship. So like even one of them, Sky, if you ever listen to my podcast, like I, we go grab coffee. We haven't grabbed coffee in about a year, but we would go grab coffee. And then I know that every Saturday he goes to this one bar in that downtown Orlando. Yeah. And if I'm there on Saturdays, yeah. I would tell my friends, hey, I'll be right back. Go away for 30 minutes. Go have a drink with them. Yeah. Pay it. Uh, his bar tab because I appreciate him. Oh, for sure. And then leave. For sure. No kidding. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What? If you look at your work ethic then, what what can you kind of tell your audience some of the things that you were thinking that caused you to do what you do that maybe they can replicate or emulate? I think it's hard because my work ethic I learned from my mom, right? My mom worked seven days a week for 15 years straight, no vacations, because she worked for a small company. Uh, a lot, of, Nine out of those years were were illegal immigrants. Yeah. So like, yeah. Um, she didn't have the luxury to have paid time off or have insurance. Like we didn't yeah. have that. Like I walked around in my in my wallet with a business card of an immigration lawyer, and like it was a rule of thumb that if I didn't hear from my mom in twenty four hours, I had to call that number. Because you just yeah something yeah. could have happened. And I was yeah. always home alone. Um, even at like nine years old, where oh, wow. back then we didn't have cell phones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so like. It was crazy to think that, like, I had a code when my mom called the house phone. It was call, ring three times, hang up, call again, ring two times, hang up, one, call again, ring three times, hang up, like, one ring. So it's like three, two, one. Right. The fourth time, you know, is my mom's to pick up. Cool. Because there was a code. Like, wow. It, crazy. That was serious, that man. Serious stuff. <laughs> so, so you're, you're, you're in college. You're in UCF. Yeah. So when did things start? Because I know you did pretty good at UCF. We have, we're not going to get there yet, but I know you had some success at UCF. Too. Um, Belly, you're a big part of this family. I need you to be quiet. It's all right. Daniel's dog is barking. It's not me. It's the dog. <laughs> so, Belly no, wants to play. No, no, no llama. All right. So, um, success. It, it's funny because success in a, in a traditional Grades? No. I graduated with below 3.0 GPA, right? I understand. But success in other forms, right. yes. So what is the success that you had in other forms? Um, we'll set your grades aside. We won't address that anymore. We won't address okay. that anymore. You're an average student in that respect. Average at best. Um, right. Networking. So I got involved. I got involved into a business fraternity where it allowed me to network and meet like-minded students that then help me see what all other opportunities are out there because as a first generation college student and you walk into a university of 60,000 students, you're overwhelmed. For me, I never felt overwhelmed by the number just because I was like, that's 60,000 people that I can meet, right? Um, but I didn't know what opportunities are out there. And even when I joined it, a student organization that really showed me, like joining a business fraternity that showed me what people who were graduating, the type of jobs they were getting, now that I am so involved into this field, I knew nothing then. Like the opportunities, like the job that I could have had if I knew what I knew now, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's insane. So what do you think it would be knowing what you know now? I would have probably gone to a tech company yeah. for four years into a uh, management training program for sales leaders. Mm. So like um, a company like SAP mm-hmm. only hires 20 people ac- across the country for this developmental program. 
that they go through for about a year and a half. And wow. then once they graduate, they're in business to business enterprise sales. Yeah. That if you were to gain, like if you were to get that job just based on a getting experience, you would need at least 10 to 15 years of B2B tech experience to get that same job that you can get after one year of training in their management training program. Oh, wow. And so those people are making two, $300,000 yeah, a year after graduation. Yeah, they're making good money. And it's not even about the money that you can yeah. make, it's the relationships that you can build oh, yeah. by yeah. calling yeah. on C-level executives. Oh, sure. Your sphere of influence is huge at that point. Oh, right? my God. The network? Oh, yeah. That, it, that in and of itself is worth more than the salary. The, more than the, if I can go do That's that job true. and make $50,000 a year and knew that what I know about networking and yeah. the, my ability to build relationships, yeah. Yeah. I would make more than the oh, yeah. salary. Especially is, or, oh, my goodness. Yeah. That, a lot of That's what I would do. Okay. That's, yeah. a, good, that's a good answer. That, I, I would do that. So what happened? So you, as you're progressing through UCF, something had to be going through your mind because this book just didn't come out of thin air, right? Like you had to start thinking certain things. Like something was shaping your brain. Two things, right? One thing, when I was a student, I was very, well, I was very naive growing up. I thought that America was perfect. Um, and I still think America is amazing. So don't get me wrong. That has not changed, right? right? But I thought that if you went to school in America, you're guaranteed a job. Right. So I never stressed about not getting a job because I just assumed I have a degree from America like what what else like nothing in my life can go wrong now I'm bulletproof right um and then the second thing is a guy named Calvin Williams doc he's now Dr. Calvin Williams walked into one of my classrooms and he talked about career services and at UCF I was one of 300 students in this classroom and he said if anybody wants more help um our job is to get jobs and is to get help students get jobs come to my office and for about two weeks, David, I'm not, I'm not going to kid in. I thought that what's the point? Like all 300 students are going to go. Like mm. there's not going to be any time for me. Yeah, that makes sense. But then I, I just got the courage to just go and talk to him because I just, I appreciate it. And I just went in there and said, hey, thank you so much for your talk. Like you really opened up my eyes. I was just very good at follow-up. And he actually, I remember going to his, his secretary and saying, hey, is Dr. Calvin Williams here? I know he's probably, I know he's probably busy. Like I'm already giving myself right, an objection. Right, right. And... Calvin's office was always open and he says, let him in, right? He heard you? Yeah, he heard me. Nice. So she lets me in and that's the beginning of a really great friendship mentoring that still, like I had Calvin come over to my house last week and we did a podcast. Nice. Um, nice. And he was uh, the associate director of uh, employer relations at that time and he just taught me a lot of what this book is based and he taught me how employer relations look and helping, how, how, the universities help students get jobs and I learned the good and the bad. What's the bad? The bad is that um, they can't personalize it a lot because yeah. there's so many students <clears throat> and then a lot of it is also like they're just trying to cater to the companies to try to hire as many students as possible. Right. Um, and so that is a bad and, and the bad is also not so much in the university's fault on the students fault is that they can do events all day long but if students don't show up then companies will never want to come back again. So if a company says, you know what, I would love to partner with you, UCF. I would love to do a workshop on salary negotiation. And let's say that Westgate is doing this. And then you go, you send your recruiters, you send your team, and only five students show up. You go and you do the workshop, but would you do it again? It's mm, good. Right? And that's so good. a lot of times I feel because there are so many students that no one does it. Right. And so it's the opposite effect. Makes sense. So... You start progressing, you're getting ready. Let's say we, you're getting ready to graduate. Mm -hmm. So what are you thinking about doing? So I, re, I had, by that time, I had re, re, read all the biographies of all those successful, like uh, Jack Welch, who just passed away last yeah, week, did. right? I, yeah. um, I, I was a big fan of him. Like at that time, he was the CEO of the decade. But I yeah. forgot who named it yeah. that. Um, yeah. I mean, he was on a lot of covers of magazines. I mean, he was everywhere. I think what made him successful was his leadership skill and his talent development, right? Yeah. And he's... At one point, more CEOs of Fortune 500 companies were ex-GE under him, under him yeah. than any other company. So yeah. he was a major influencer. Major influence. Yeah. And so I was influenced by wanting to be a CEO. And so I studied, I studied a lot. And I learned that to be a CEO, the most common track to CEO is through sales. Yeah. And, um, and then they came from sales. They come like, if you think about the more like traditional path is 
you get hired sales, uh, sales associate, sales manager, regional manager, uh, regional director, VP of sales, president, right. Right. and then CEO. Yeah. Because any business, doesn't matter what it is, nothing happens until something gets sold. Right. And sales is the lifeblood of any business. It is in Westgate, right? Yeah, There's sure. no timeshare oh, being sold. It is a sales organization, period. That's it. That's period. It. Absolutely. That's Everything it. is secondary. And so UCF at that time had a program called the a professional selling program mm -hmm. where they only accepted 30 students a year. Again, I didn't have the GPA. Like I, it all happened because I networked with the professors. I networked with the people in charge. They were able to get me, uh, learn from me, learn about me in a personal level. That if I were to just had an interview like most students do, they would have probably just rejected yeah, me. Yeah. Um, but they learn like, oh, you broke records at Universal Studio. Yeah, they that's, just, that's key. They they learn you were selling water while you were playing soccer. You saw right. lacrosse. That, that's such a like, huge indicator of who you are. And then they're like, yeah, come right in. I would have done the same thing. And and then that opened the door to you have no idea, right? Like it just every company that you could. So here's what's interesting. So some of the clues that you're giving me, like from from my perspective, if I'm interviewing you. Little tidbits like that. If I'm looking at your resume and you don't have that strong of a resume, but I find out as a child you started hustling, you're, you're in a good way. Like yeah. you're, you're selling Gatorade to, to soccer players. It was soccer? Was it soccer? Yeah, adults. Like, yeah, like, like right, your age, right, 40s, right, 50s. Right, yeah. right. So you're selling automatically. My, my curiosity absolutely would, would have been heightened. Yeah. And then the next step is I find out that you're breaking records at Universal selling toys, essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. The glow in the dark stuff. Yeah. And then I'm going to ask your methodology on how you do that and you describe it to me in detail. Like you're very intentional, you know exactly what you're doing and why. Yeah. For sure, you and I are going to be having a conversation. Like you're probably going to be going in the program 100%. Yeah. That's, that is so key. I think for your audience, those are little tidbits that they have in their personal lives as well that could come up in an interview that could help separate them from, from the masses, right? Absolutely. That's making it easy on somebody like me that's hiring. I find out those clues, all of a sudden my interest on you is heightened tremendously. Yeah. And it's probably not on your resume, right? Those like universal things, yes. The water? No. Right. Like but That's that, that piece right there, man. That's... Listen, I, I talked to a young man not long ago, and he's really good with numbers. I asked him, how long have you known that you're good with numbers? He said, when I was six, my mom had a game. She bought me. When I was six years old, I fell in love with the numbers. Let me tell you something. It was me and a few other hiring managers in that room interviewing. I wish I could have recorded the looks on their faces. Because all of a sudden, that little nugget, we've been talking to this kid for a bit, right? And he yeah. was okay at interviewing. It wasn't great. But that little nugget, let me tell you, everybody got interested real quick. And I mean, he ended up getting hired and he's good at what he does. It's pieces like that that are invaluable. But I think it takes a special person to suck that out of it. So like, um, maybe, yeah, no, but it, here's the, an example. Like when I interviewed with PepsiCo, I, I apply like everybody else. Well, actually, yeah. Yeah, because you went to Pepsi. Yeah, I went to Pepsi, and I remember my first phone interview was with the. He, at that time, was the director of HR. I don't know why he was conduct. I think at that time, hiring college students was a priority, and so yeah. he was doing the screening. Yeah. yeah, he was doing the heavy lifting on that. Yeah. Um, and so because they don't have somebody who's just in charge of campus recruitment, right, right? Right. And because they only hired twenty people for the whole region, like that, that was max. So they, anyways, he was doing the screening and. We had a really good phone conversation. He brought me into the final interview. I did one interview and he happened to be dinner. It was like two people at a time and I would interview five rounds. So it'd be a total of 10 people. They'll, they'll interview five, like five, six people. The end, they'll calibrate and then they'll pick who they, they think is sure, the best, right? Sure. And it's not about they could all five of us get the job or none of us get the yeah, job yeah. because it was, they weren't, it was a management training program. My first interview, thank God it was with him and somebody else. And I got nervous. I started speaking really fast. I talk fast as it is. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was walking to my second interview. He pulls me to the side. He goes, hey, Daniel, look, man, I've gotten to know you more. But if I only knew you based on that interview, I would not give you that job. Oh, wow. I need you to slow down the way you talk. Oh, wow. Make your answers shorter. Wow. Um, I would have not gotten it. That's interesting. I mean, that guy, I, I, I told him that when he came over about a month ago to do a podcast. That changed your life. Literally, that, like literally. That, that changed that my life. Right there. I, I would have, I had a lot of job offers, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm sure I would have been done okay. And I would have got one of them. Yeah. But PepsiCo is a big foundation. Of my yeah. Life. It's a big piece of your resume. I mean, that's a name brand. Yeah. That's huge. So you, you stay with Pepsi for how long? 
Uh, close to six years, like Long over time. five and a half years. Yeah. Where, tell me real quick, because I'm going to get to your book, but tell me real quick, where did the competitiveness kind of show up in Pepsi? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Give me three examples. Um, if I was working with you and we're side by side, right? We're working yeah. eight hours a day together and I'm with you five days a week. Where's the competitive? Like, what am I going to be seeing? So, um, the first nine months I'm going through a management training program mm -hmm. and at the end, it's not the bo my boss's decision who's the director of Central Florida right. to whether it said you pass the training program, you're now a district manager or not. Essentially, you get promoted to become a district manager if you pass this tour, right. right? It's called certification. Right. It's actually the senior vice president of the region, right? Because these are management training programs. These are the future leaders of PepsiCo. So the VP has to fly from Atlanta to spend all day with you, visit 10 to 15 stores. And so my whole thing was like, I want it. And my boss says, this is literally the beginning of your career. If you do mm -hmm. really bad, you get one more chance, mm -hmm. but don't think you can get promoted if you do bad in the, like if you right. mess up the first round, like you just, but if you do really good, you're automatically an, a high potential employee and you'll right. get promoted every two years as right. long as you continue. Right. But you don't see a lot of him, so this interaction will hold for at least a year. Oh, wow. Right? It's just plain and cut okay. and simple. Okay, okay. And so that was number one, is to just to wow him to the point. And so it, it, at Frito Lay, you want to put a bunch of displays up. Like, right. the bigger, the better. Yeah. And so I remember just going to every store and building like the most massive display that you can ever think of. Like my boss is like, what the heck, right? Mm -hmm. And so we go into this Dollar General and we track everything by, uh, by weekly sales. Right. This Dollar General has won $400, $500 of weekly Frito-Lay sales. And I put this big display, it was in the summer, it was like Labor Day, and I put this big display that had about close to $3,000 worth of inventory. But I'm like, this is what he a wants. Lot of Fritos, my man. A lot, right? But that, like that Dollar General, you might as well have put Frito Lay on, on the front right, of it. Like, right. I like, I went above and beyond. And I, and I remember it was like towards the middle of the store, or to the middle of the day, the tour, and we get into that store, he sees that, and he goes, Daniel, come here. And I'm like, he's gonna tell me he's gonna love it. Like, this is huge, this is big, like, right. he's gonna like love it, right? And he goes like, how much does this store do? Um, and I, I know my numbers. Right. $500. Right. He goes like, how much of inventory is in here? 3,000. I'm like, do the math. That I didn't really know. Yeah, okay. I, so, okay, based on the towers, like it's literally making me do the math, but like about $3,000. And he goes like, all right, how much inventory is in the, in the aisle? Another $3,000. And then how much inventory is another display that you had like over there? Like $1,000. So you have $7,000. And this store does five hundred dollars worth of sales, and the product expires in, in six months. So this product, at least twenty percent of it, is going to expire and not be sellable. And not be sellable. Oh wow! Do you think that's a smart business decision? <laughs> <laughs> and your answer was. And my answer was like, sir, you're one hundred percent right. Um, it, it's not. You know, this is a good uh, learning lesson. I, you know. I was so focused on impressing you with the big displays and to show you that I can sell. And he goes like, this is something that I've learned. I have no doubt that you are going to sell anything that, anything that we tell you to sell. Like you yeah. are going to sell it and hit yeah. out the park. Yeah. Now my, 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 what I want to teach you moving forward is that it's not about sales. That running a business, you have to take everything into account, including cost and unsellables. Right. And then my boss goes and I'm like, now I'm thinking I screwed up. Like, I'm not going to get certified for, there's my chances. And then actually ends up happening. It was probably one of the deepest certifications that is one of those lessons that you learn a year, two years into working at PepsiCo. Yeah. Because at the beginning, they just want you to sell. Yeah. Let's make money and then we yeah. can teach you the rest. Yeah. But he's teaching me that so early on. Yeah. And my boss was like, no, he loved you. That's like, awesome. he's only doing that because he cares. That's awesome. Yeah. So how, how did Gatorade, Glow Sticks, and Fritos, how did it help you write this book? They, honestly, I don't know. I, 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 I wrote that book because I had found success, but a lot of my friends didn't. Mm. You know, I had found success and then I would go back and do campus recruiting, yeah. um, trying to recruit the next generation of college students. Yeah. And I took that as a project. And I realized how many of my friends were graduating with jobs that don't require degrees. Yeah. Um, 
how my wife, who was way smarter than I, went to arguably a better school than I did, mm -hmm. had a close to a 4.0 GPA, mm -hmm. how she never made finding a job a priority, and how she went to a job that made half of the money that I did. Yeah. Right? That was yeah. not related to her major. <clears throat> right. And she needed a degree to get the job, but yeah, she didn't need a finance degree. And let me talk to you about and that. And so, yeah. that to me was like, yeah, like, that's where I, I got motivated to wanting to go back and speaking because yeah. I love helping people. Yeah. And so I started speaking at different universities. I, well, I first started speaking at UCF and I would go speak at my business fraternity, the sales program. Um, I would be recruiting for PepsiCo. So I'll do the info sessions. I would go to the career fairs. I would do on-campus interviews. So for about five years, I did that. And I spoke at pretty much over 25 schools. Uh, wow. I spoke around over, over 300 times. Um, all about how to get a job. So a lot of what you were talking to, you put in this book, right? Yeah, so everything that I put in the book had been what I had learned from what PepsiCo looked at in campus recruitment, right. what I learned from Calvin Williams as what um, employer relations and career services does for students, right. what I learned from being in the professional selling program where everybody graduates with multiple job offers, yeah. right? What yeah. I learned from being in a business fraternity that really helps you get internships and network. Yeah. Um, and then what I learned from doing public speaking and reading every book that I could find on this subject. Yeah, yeah makes sense. What would you say when, when you look at this book, because I, I, I like this book and I've come through this book and I know we're, we got to look at time, but what are three primary principles like if you had to just pick three out of this because there's a lot in here mm -hmm. if there's three principles that you would talk to what are the three most important ones um i think one in, or it, concepts yeah concepts wanna, yeah, yeah in no particular order because yeah. i think it's hard yeah. and it depends on the situation i think right. one uh very important is for you to have self-awareness of where you want to do and what you want to like where do you want to go that, that is so huge in an interview when they have self-awareness yeah. and they know what they're looking for and the why's behind it it makes it so much easier for somebody like me to kind of get in the groove with them and and get curious and want to and want to kind of talk to them and maybe bring them back for that second or third interview yeah does that make sense i mean yeah they just got when they're dialed in like that it shows yeah it's so here's a mistake and this is i don't want this to be like a, another preaching podcast but mistakes students do is they apply for every company mm -hmm. they meet the minimum qualifications for yeah, yeah. and then once a company replies back letting them know that they're interested then they start doing their research on the company and then they justify it to themselves why this is the perfect company that's true they talk themselves into they it. talk themselves into right that's true they make decisions that's true they, based on what's available to them and then right. the lot they'll find the logic behind it right right and i actually think that's a horrible way to do it sure. and i talk a lot about the book about having the self-awareness to find out what do you love to do and what are the companies that are going to help you get there so for me i either wanted to start my own company or be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I yeah. love both of those. And PepsiCo, out of all the job offers that I had, PepsiCo was the best route to get there, right? The management training program to go from sales associate, district manager, regional manager. Well, there's continuity to it. Right. Like, it makes sense. The steps, they're grooming you, They're right? grooming you, yeah. yeah. And, like, if it is very realistic for me to be in the company for eight years to be a director yeah and then in like 15 years be a vp yeah and then obviously as you get higher and higher yeah. the less roles are available the harder it is right I, and i get that but i am so competitive that i like i have a feeling that i could have gotten it you know yeah yeah you probably could have yeah for sure but with this book so that's one of the concepts what are yep. some other concepts that you that you really hang your hat on that are uh, important networking you? is key yeah you talk about that a lot even when i met you you talked about that a lot yeah because I think... Um, and people don't do it very well, do they? No, they, they don't. And they assume that networking needs to be the... I'm going to a networking event. I'm going to hit, I'm going to collect as many business cards as I can. And the most business cards I have in my shoebox is the one who wins. And that is the opposite, right? Mm. It's actually a quality over quantity approach. And it's about follow-up. And I think that you have to understand the psychology of people hire who they like, trust, and think they can do the job. And if I am looking for someone, I'm going to ask... First, who do I know that can do the job? And if I don't know, who does my friends know that can do the job? Like today, I literally check my LinkedIn and I get a president of a company in Orlando that says, hey, Daniel, I have two positions available. Do you know anybody? This wow. is what I'm looking for, wow. right? Um, wow. Is he going to post that job on LinkedIn? Yes. Is he going to post that on Indeed? Yes. Sure. Would he post it on Handshake? <clears throat> yes. If he gets 100 applications and I send him one, 
Does it mean that my guy is going to get the job? No, but my guy will get the interview. Yeah, but your guy is going to get a conversation. An interview, right. Like a conversation. Sure. That's it. And that's what you want. And if you submit your application online, an applicant tracking system will eliminate the vast majority of it. Right. So why would you just, after you've worked so hard to get a degree, after you work so hard to get this job, right. why would you trust on luck that the applicant tracking system will pass your resume? And it, and it doesn't. It, I mean, you know, it, you know, I do. In fact, we're in the middle of actually switching our applicant tracking system. Um, and ATS really is designed. I mean, we want the we want the uh, we want the applicant to have a good experience, right? We want it to be kind of seamless. We want to be able to get their information a little bit quicker. But at the end of the day, it's really geared more towards the employer than it is the the applicant. It's not about the candidate. No, it's really not. It's not. It's not. I mean, we'll talk about the candidate experience. We'll tell you all the things that we're doing to try to make a better candidate experience. But the the applicant tracking system, ATS. It is what it is. It, you're gonna have to have the right keywords, like yeah, and like yeah. every job has a different keywords, yep. and yep. and the the keywords sometimes are based on the job description. That right. the job description's been it's old and outdated. Let like, me tell you something. This is a different episode. job descriptions in general that companies have are horrific. I mean, they're just they're painful. Yeah. They're painful. So it's smart that you've got that you got that perspective. You know, when I as I'm going through your book, and obviously as I've gotten to know you you're very much specific around having a plan. Yep. You, you talk to that hard mm -hmm. about having a plan from go, right? And, I, and, and my team, they hear me say this all the time, like be intentional. That's kind of like my yeah. word, be intentional. But you talk about having a plan even before you graduate. What drove it, like what, was it something you thought of when you were in college or was it something that you saw once you got out and everyone's struggling? How did that, did you really, you really talked to that a bit. I've been thinking a lot about the last two years. Yeah, um, I can tell. It comes down to me being com competitive, right? Okay. Because in order for me to win at board games, like I am, don't, my, no, my wife will not play Monopoly or Risk with me. Like, right, right. No, once you play with me once, you'll never play with me again. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's something you should tell everybody, but go ahead. But, <laughs> but to win in a board game, you need strategy. You do. And strategy is a plan. It is. Right? And so I learned that a lot of times board games are like real life. And if I want to win in real life, and I would say like life is the ultimate board game, right? Then I need to have a plan. Yeah. And when I started having plans and setting goals, that's when I everything changed for me. Yep. That's good. No, keep talking. No, I mean... I'm, I'm very curious is because you talked to that a lot and did you see the friends that struggled? Did they not really have good plans? Because I'm, yeah, everybody that struggled is because they didn't have a plan. Like a hundred percent of the time, if you're struggling is because you, if you're struggling long term is because you didn't have a plan. Like, is, am I, I have a lot of plans. Do I struggle? 100%. Do I struggle in business? Yes. Do I struggle with spelling? Yes. But you know what? If I really thought about solving spelling, I would create a master plan spending three hours a day for the next 90 days. Right. I'm probably could fix it. Um, I just, yeah, I'm not making it a priority. It's not going to happen. So, yeah. What's the one thing, you know, you address standing out on this book as well. Mm -hmm. Like, what's one of the key things in your opinion that allows people to stand out for people like me? I think it's being genuine because it's not about mm. people like you. It's about standing out in the place that you want to stand out. Like, if I go to a, a, an entrepreneurship convention, I'm not gonna stand out. I'm just like everybody else. I think the same way, right? Yeah. But if I were to go to a rock and roll convention, I would stand out. Yeah. Right. 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 So right. it goes back to having clarity about what you want to do, where do you want to work, and then stand out by being mm. genuine. Because the reality is that. If my goal was to go work at Westgate, I'm so passionate about hospitality. I'm so passionate about the vacation experience and how it brings family together. Right. And I have clarity that I want to either work at Westgate or at Hilton or Marriott. Right. And then I go into those and I'm sharing you this passion. And you interview 100 people and I'm one of three people that are passionate about this. I will stand out automatically. Yeah. Yeah, for sure you will. Um, you're, you were smart in this. You talk about being strategic and selecting classes and professors. Yeah. Why? I like that. I, um, were you thinking about no, that? No, I didn't. I, I did not think that when I was <laughs> okay. a student, right? I was picking, like, I, I, was, I picked my classes based number one on uh, rate your professor, who was the easiest professor. 
Number two on how it fit my schedule so I can have a off I can have Fridays off or I can have all my classes on, on Mondays and Wednesdays so then I can have Tuesday, Thursdays and Fridays okay. off. Okay. And then uh that those were my two criteria. Or number three, uh my friends were in my classes. Like can we all you pick? like that? I did because I'm not a good student. So if I can have a smart person, like um, I never would have passed uh, financial accounting if it wasn't from Olivia. Uh, Olivia, if you're listening, you know you know how much I appreciate <laughs> you. You carry Daniel. He's got a big smile. His hands <laughs> over his heart. He's been very sincere. Yeah. That's interesting. But now uh, I think back. That's at strategic, a, by the oh, way. Oh, that is strategic. <laughs> but I think back about how we you don't utilize professors enough. Like these are very, very smart people. Some of them have really good uh, industry experience. And all of them have, for the majority, have a very strong network of their circle or even past alumni. Yeah. And so I would pick professors based on that. If you had to pick, looking back in your life, two or three people that, that were... Man, they really influenced you for whatever reason. It may not just be in the professional sense, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's in doing life. Who are they? No when I was order. a student or um, we're in, talking about anytime, right now? Any time. Um, recently, that has, I've, I've come to realize how much impact my grandma has had in my life, which my future, my next book that I will write is lessons learned from my uneducated grandmother. Yeah. And I already have the book yeah, outline. That's really cool. Um, that's really cool. Because she didn't go to college, but she was the, like the head of the family. Yeah. People who went to work for her mm -hmm. never left her. Like mm -hmm. she has employees to this day work for my family after 30 years of being her maid. My like, goodness. Um, my goodness. And so one would be my grandma. Um, the second person I think was very, very influential. I'm trying to think. It's my mom, just yeah. in the work ethic and yeah. how much influence she had. Yeah. Well, I saw when you when this book came out, I saw the picture of you and your mom. You know, you were dedicated the book to her. And yeah. Just really talked about her influence and yeah. guidance. Yeah, that's huge. And then I would tell you my wife. Like, yeah. as funny as that is, he does talk about his wife a lot. I have to give him props. Yeah, he's, no, but he's absolutely serious about that. I'm crazy. I'm really crazy, and I'm risk taker and my wife is a complete opposite and yeah. she grounds me that's and sometimes very smart my yeah. head gets too big yeah like, oh i'm yeah. a number one best-selling author and she'll be like but you can't spell like <laughs> <laughs> um no but she grounds me and and so those people ultimately influence me in terms of people who are maybe not in my life a lot that have influenced me yeah. in the career that i am now i would say dr calvin williams yeah 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 you um, mentioned him a few times when i met you you talked about yeah him. he was very very influential in my life and then even like Sharonda uh, Younger, who was my boss at Fidel for about three years, very great leader and influential in my life. Is there anything that you missed in this book that you wish you'd put in? Because it's a pretty concise book. Yeah. I mean, front to back, you've done a pretty good job with it. It flows really nice too. A lot. I mean, I think that that book is a very good starting point, but it's not the whole roadmap, right? <clears throat> That's a, that book will help you get the job, but then you're just entering your career and... That's so much. There's so much. It is. No, it, it, it made me think. I mean, there's so many thoughts that came to mind. I could spend another hour with you talking through your book. I, I like, you, you referenced the dream job a lot, you know, and, and I like that because I think, I think sometimes people come out of school and they do land into that dream job. Um, you know, my boss that I work for now, who I, I absolutely adore her, she's a good lady, and I don't know if she would hear this or not, so I'm not saying that because she would, but I, I genuinely mean it. You know, she had a, a really good job at Hard Rock. I mean, she was an executive there. And she talked about some of the different Hard Rock, hard rock locations that they'd be opening up, you know, being in Barcelona, Spain, yeah. on the beach, having drinks, dancing, you know, like she got that, but she got that later later in life. And she loves working with Westgate. She loves the team that she's got now. And, and she's, she's definitely thriving where she's at. But you have, sometimes those dream jobs come a little bit later. Sometimes you get kind of lucky in some ways and, and you get them early on. Somebody made a, a reference, his name's um, Brian Waltrip, he's one of the VPs at where we work, and he said something incredibly uh, intuitive the other day, we, I had him speaking to my team, and he had mentioned about, you know, when you're interviewing, you're not just interviewing for your first job, don't just interview for your first job, interview for your second job, have that second job in mind, like take it a step further, right, no, in your research, look at your first job, but look at what the second and third could be, and, and, and kind of approach it that way. And it was just a, he, he was very eloquent in how he worded it. I'm definitely butchering it. But you talked to that quite a bit about having that thought process around your dream job. Real quick, before we get done, talk to me to that 
about that? Like, what goes through your mind when you talk about that dream job and you're speaking to students? Yeah, I mean, but you have to think about it like this too. My dream <laughs> job when I was a senior in college is completely different than my dream job now, right? Changes, right? Um, and, and that is why I truly believe you can graduate with your dream job, right? Like, be realistic on what that is. Don't say, hey, I want to be the president of the United States right out of college. So that is not going to happen and you're right. going to be very disappointed, right? Right. right. But be realistic of what are the jobs the students are getting right out of college and what's the best job for you at that time. And I can tell you that I... That's a smart statement that you just made. Yeah. That's a very I would tell you statement. this. When I went into PepsiCo, I, I, like, I, I wanted to manage a team. Nothing... I, I was like, I, I graduated a management degree and a sales degree. Like, now I'm a sales leader. Like, I'm right. a district manager right. right out of college. Right? That's a dream job. That's cool. Two, two years doing that, I'm burned out. Right. Right. I'm waking up at four in the morning because that's what time my people start working. But they go home at noon. I'm still working until five. Right. right. So I burned out. Then there was this job called a regional account manager where now you're traveling. Right. You're visiting customers. You're dining and whining them. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's my dream job. Right. Then I got that job and I was traveling all around. Like I became a, a platinum level at every airline. Marriott treated oh, wow. knew so me by really name. Were traveling. I was traveling, right? Like three to four nights a week traveling. All around. Every um, I was in my I mean, if you looked at my Instagram, this dude's in Miami, in South Beach, right? This guy is in Jacksonville watching the Jaguars play. This guy is in Tampa. This guy is in Atlanta. Uh, I'm, I'm traveling. I'm making really good money. Yeah. Um, what happens after that? Two years later, I don't even want to be on another plane. You're getting burned right? out again. You get burned out. And so the definition of a dream job is different yeah and so that will continue to evolve and like when you have kids mm. that changes right right um now your dream job could look completely completely different, different. like hey your can, priorities are different. yeah like my wife's dream job is to be able to work from home because she nothing she loves nothing more than her dog yeah right like yeah that makes sense so her applying for jobs could be completely different than someone that she works with right now right who doesn't like to work from home and she comes to the office every day because she's a social butterfly and yeah. she yeah wants to talk to people. It makes sense. So I think we've done a good job covering quite a bit. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, it's a great episode. I think this is a very good episode. I think it opens up into you and how your brain works. I've learned a lot more about you today than I've known in the last couple of years. Guys, thank you so much for listening to us. This is Mastering College to Career with Daniel Botero and David Mao. Appreciate you all listening to us. Please tune in. There's going to be more coming out, more great content. And Daniel, thank you for allowing me to host your show. Guys, do you not feel like David is a natural at this? Look at it. He's like a professional. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy getting to know me a little better. And I would love to get to know you. So send me a message on LinkedIn and let's get the conversation started. Bye, guys.